Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 143. This episode is a pre-season special. We ask a lot about um, recommended topics and guests that you want to hear on the podcast and pre-season always comes up. So we decided to put together um, a podcast solely focused around pre-season. Hopefully when you are listening to this, as it goes out, it is a really relevant time as many clubs are going to be going back to the pre-season period over the next few weeks. So on this podcast, I've got three guests. There's Andrew Whittington, the Cardiff City Head of Academy Elite Performance, Connor Derbidge, Exeter City First Team S&C Coach, and Rob Lee, who's Head of Sports Science at Doncaster Rovers. So it's great to get the lads' views on pre-season and the different experiences that they've had as well under different managers too. They all used to get work together at Cardiff, but then obviously have gone their separate ways since. So it's it was great to delve into some of their experiences on pre-season. We spoke about the importance of pre-season initially, discussing whether it is an important time um, or whether it is just a small part of the of the big season. We spoke about some of the main objectives the lads have in that period as well. We had a discussion around the optimal length of a pre-season period too. And then we spoke about some of the different approaches in terms of the different approaches from the lads and how their approaches might have changed across the years. Also, different approaches from managers and coaches that they've worked with as well. And then we just wrapped it up with some listener questions. But just before we went into those, we um, spoke about the most successful preseason period that the lads had had and also the reasons why it was so successful. So loads of information in this one. You can probably tell by the length of this podcast that there's some great stuff in this. You will need a pen and a notepad um, for this one to make sure you get all the notes down. But yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we dive into it, I just wanted to give a reminder of our first networking event of 2021. It's been a long time coming, but we have confirmed our first event of the year at QPR Academy on Tuesday, the 20th of July, 5 to 8 p.m. And we are going to have a presentation from QPR Academy sports scientist, Kieran Dealey. He's going to be uh, presenting on profiling fatigue. Um, So we are going to be running networking tasks around that subject and it's a great chance for you to grow your network and interact with many other practitioners in the field as well and with it being the first event I'm sure there's loads of people that are dying to get out and chatting um, to other practitioners so come and join us if you want to join us you can get your ticket at footballfitfed.com click the shop And the tickets are available there. And just a reminder to any of our community members, you do get a discount. So we've got the early bird discount that is available at the moment as this podcast goes out. Community members get a further discount on the event as well. So if you are a member of the community, just go on to the member benefits tab on the community and you'll be able to see the codes to input when you purchase your ticket, which will give you a further discount on the early bird price as well. So it'd be great to see as many of the listeners there as possible. Really looking forward to going down to QPR and seeing what's going on there and getting the first event of the year underway as well. But we'll dive into the episode now, episode 143 with Andrew, Connor and Rob. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to welcome three guests onto the podcast for this week's episode. So we have got Connor Derbidge, we've got Rob Lee, 
and Andrew Whittingham. So thank you very much, lads, for coming on. We are going to focus on this episode around pre-season. So I ask the audience a lot about topics, about people that they want to come on to the podcast. Pre-season always comes up. Um, so we're going to delve into that in a little bit. But first of all, before we do that, let's go into some backgrounds. So what we'll do, just a brief background on yourself, clubs you've been at, the roles you've been in, and just take us up to your current role as well. And Connor, do you want to just kick us off, mate? Yeah, all right, Ben. So um, basically, I started off as an intern under Rob um, at Cardiff. Was an intern for about a season and a half. And then Rob left to um, where he is now at Doncaster. And I took over from him. Um, I did that for a season and a half, working quite closely with Wits in the academy um, with the 23s. And then from the end of that season, um, I got a chance to work at Exeter with the first team. And that was in 2019. And um, yeah, been there ever since. So coming up to my third season now with them and that's that's pretty much it so quite early early in in my strength and conditioning profession but um yeah enjoying it real and your current role is uh your first team snc yeah first team snc yeah awesome rob do you want to go next yeah sure ben thanks for having me on cheers connor for a little introduction there mate um so it started for me when I was at uh, uh, university, so last year at uni, I did an undergrad in uh, sports and exercise rehab. And in my last year, I did a placement at Leighton Orient Football Club. So when I was there, um, I did, I was doing bits and pieces for the, the physio, so a bit of massage, um, was doing some mid-stage rehabilitation, helping out a little bit on the pitch. And that eventually led me to going on to the under-18s. So I stayed on the next season, did my Masters at the same uni at Middlesex. And then, um, yeah, did my Masters, started to work with the under-18s then. That led to a paid role. And then after I finished my Masters, I had a season there as head of Academy Sports Science. A bit of a torrid time. It was not that, I'm not sure there's too many late number fans that listen, but we got they got taken over by an Italian guy and it, the club just went downhill. We ended up getting relegated from League One. But towards the end of the season, I was working with the first team as like the S&C coach, helping out with a bit of sports science. From there, went to Cardiff as under-23 strength and conditioning coach. And that was because the manager at the time of, when I first went into Leighton Orient, the manager, Russell Slade, went over to Cardiff and he took his fitness coach, Lee Sunwood, over to Cardiff to work with the first team. Opportunity come up to get work with the under-23s at Cardiff. So I went over there. I was there for three seasons. And then typical how you get a job in football. The physio who I used to work with at Leighton Orient got the job at Doncaster. The opportunity to come up to head a sports science role. So went there in 20, I think it was 2017. And I've been there ever since. And which, do you want to round it up, mate? Yeah, there seems to be a theme of these boys leaving Cardiff and I'm, I'm still there, so I'm not sure what. <laughs> yeah, so um, similar sort of thing, normal sort of thing you'd expect, undergrad, postgrad um, at Cardiff Met. Uh, finished there in 2013 and I did a, did a sort of a full-time of a year internship at Cardiff City within the academy, so working with uh, predominantly the 16s and 18s. Um, 
and then sort of right place, right time at the end of that season, um, there was a, a position available um, as a lead academy sports scientist. So working with the 18s predominantly, but also looking at um, helping with the other age groups as well. So that would have been uh, 13, 14 seasons. So uh, a decent amount of time ago. And so obviously I've sort of jumped from some different roles within the club. So uh, overseeing nines to 18 sports science provision as head of academy sports science. Um, and then obviously bumping up to look at overseeing nines to 23s and probably working a little bit more closely with the first team. Um, over the last sort of 18 months to two years, I've sort of jumped from a sort of dual role with coaching as well. So I was, I was assistant 18s coach as well as head of elite performance. Um, and now predominantly this season onwards, I'm sort of reverting back to um, the performance role itself and not, not the dual role. So um, most of the time, obviously all the time spent at Cardiff, uh, but a little bit of a difference in background with a mixture between the, the sports science S&C and obviously the, the technical coaching as well. Perfect. Cheers, lads. Well, I'm hoping this podcast is um, at a decent time for people because tackling the topic of pre-season, I know a lot of clubs are going to be going in as this goes out, basically, from next week or the week after. Um, so we've got a few areas we want to sort of cover. And then we've also got some questions that have been sent in as well that I haven't given you the, the heads up on. So I'm going to throw them at you in a little bit as well, see what we can get. Well, just to start with, I thought we'd start with the importance of pre-season and just to get your views on it, because obviously looking at the whole season, essentially, and we'll get into the length of pre-season in a little bit, we might have a six-week period, an eight-week period, and I know this year has been whatever we could get, basically, but in terms of importance throughout the whole season, where do you rate it? Do you think it's a really important stage of the season where you've got to nail it or is it just a, um, a few weeks where you've got to get through? Like, how important do you rate it? Um, which, do you want to start us off on that? Yeah, sure. I, th I think maybe my position probably differs to the lads a little bit in terms of our development probably carries across the season a little bit more. Um Whereas maybe the, the lads might build that in that, that window of opportunity, maybe from a physical development within the pre-season, maybe in the first environment, is really crucial. Because when they get into a, an in-season period, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday is quite relentless to try and build a solid foundation of whatever it was going to be. Um, but I think it, but on the flip side, in both environments, I think it's really, really important because you're able to sort of build a real good solid foundation to make sure that athletes are robust, ready um, to tolerate whatever's going to come at them in the in-season. Um, yeah, so I think in terms of the importance of it, I think it is important. I think getting it wrong, it can have massive sort of repercussions, even at developmental level. So I, for example, one of the slides I might present this week or next week to, to our sort of players and our staff is the importance of sort of surviving the pre-season and, if you can stay robust and hit those sessions off, tick them off, your availability will be so much better throughout the season. Whereas if you pick up a little niggle or an injury within the first few weeks, the boys may have I mean, the experience of this. You generally get on that wheel where you're going to get in that rehab cycle. You don't get that chance to build that load back up again once the games start to come. So that importance of this first block of work is, I think, to me, is, is crucial for development as much as performance because 
if you're an under 18 scholar, if you end up missing six to seven months of your scholarship or apprenticeship, as a big chunk of your time, which you could be progressing and developing. Perfect. Rob, do you want to, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree, really, to be honest. I mean, you think the, the, the time we get to build physical capacities in season, like which just alluded to there, is, is small, uh, especially probably not so much this season coming, but last season was ridiculous. So making the players or getting the players fitter for what we want them to be is very, very crucial within that pre-season period because there's not there's no time in season to do it. Um, you look at, you look, there's loads of study. I won't, I won't quote studies, but you look at some studies about, you know, availability in, in season and injuries within season. Essentially, if you have more pre-season training sessions and you're not injured, your injury likelihood in season is going to be lower. So it's, I think for that robustness, it's very, very crucial really. Connor, do you want to disagree? Or... Unfortunately, I can't add much more to this. No, <laughs> like I said, just from my experiences, any player that's not made it in a pre-season for one reason or another, whether that's out for a week, two weeks, they always seem to have a little niggle in season. Um, just from my experiences now, I mean, and vice versa, players who've got three pre-seasons have then gone on to play the full amount of games uh, high minute players now whether that is just their innate self or whether being able to build that load in pre-season is what's caused it um, but like Wits alluded to I think building the base that's what pre-season allows you to do allows you to build that like chronic load that, that you can then work on and you can do more in season with that you've got a bit more freedom so that's why I think it's so important to, to that is why the pre-season period is so important yeah, I think you get, sorry to butt in, sorry. But you get like, I speak to some players who come to us and they tell me the pre-season they've done and I and you think, wow, like how, how have you got through the season doing that? But sometimes towards the end of the season, those teams come on stronger, um, not naming names uh, and, and you don't know whether they're telling the truth or they're speaking ill of the club they've been at, but you're thinking, how have they got through the pre, how have they got through the season if they've done that in pre-season? But yeah, I mean, this is trying to like play devil's advocate a little bit, but I think the be- essentially football is about having them better players, really. But I think you've got to give them that base, really, for them to build on throughout the season. It's a time in the season, isn't it? That it's like we get these little snapshots, and coaches or people looking from the outside jump on any little thing that they can get, don't they? And, um, don't know the full picture a lot of the time. And it's, it's a really hard one, isn't it? Because I, I, I completely agree. I think it's an important time, but we only get little snapshots. And you, you see it all the time on social media in particular, don't you, where a team will be seen doing something. Um, the coaches might have a certain objective they're trying to get out of that. Like It might not be anything to do with in terms of creating anything to do with fitness. It might be just a team bonding session or something and people jump on it and they're all over it straight away. So it's a hard one, isn't it? Because, um, we, we like I say, we only get snapshots a lot of the time. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, and it's not, obviously, from our perspective, or maybe not so much for Wix a little bit, but we're all about building physical capacities. That's what we're here for. That's what we're paid to do and helping the coaches get the players fit to do what they want to do with them. But it's not just about that. And some of the things that people do, do build mental robustness, do make the players 
think, you know, when I'm tired towards the end of the game, yes, I've got the capacity to do it, but I can push myself a little bit further because I've done these stupid forest runs that the managers made me do or run up and down this hill 20 times, you know, that, that sort of thing, really. So you can't, you got to look at the context, as you said, Ben, you've got to look at the context. You don't know where, you look at snapshots, you've got to look at the context around it and why people are doing it, really. Anything else to add to that, lads? I think that's all good from me. Bro, well, what we'll go on to next are the main objectives of a pre-season period from, from your point of view. So I know, obviously, technical coaches, the, the, the manager might have certain objectives they're trying to hit. Physios, might they're going to have objectives they're trying to hit. But from your point of view, in your role working with the players that you work at, what are some of the main objectives that you're trying to hit across that period? And um, which do you want to start with you? Yeah, um, I think the, the objectives of, for me personally, I think they start in the programming for the off season. So when when you have those meetings with your players and you you decide sort of the structure of what you would like them to do and adhere to, I think your outcomes for your preseason sort of start there because. If they if they're good and they, they're good adherence and, and they really nail the programs in terms of maybe keeping that decent level of aerobic capacity and um, keeping themselves relatively robust from a running perspective because it's not the be all and end all in that period they still need to rest and regenerate is especially I'm thinking more from a gym based perspective so if they keep that chronic loading of I don't know with our situ- situation is. You know, can they build strength? Can it be build hypertrophy in that in that block? Um, so when they come back in as an objective, is almost uh, keep that going. So we're not just like parking things and then we're having to sort of restart everything. Hopefully, the the, the most professional athletes would ensure they got that level of capacity to be able to hit the ground running that first week. Um, so I think. From my perspective, looking at maybe maybe week one or week two is almost that safe progression into everything again. So whether that's changing direction, accelerating, decelerating, progressive high speed, ball striking, finishing, um, having bodies in around you, some more sort of cognitively demanding situations rather than you program on your own with a ball and, and a pitch and single running. So I think those sorts of objectives are clear when I try and plan stuff in terms of clearly sort of objectifying and ticking those things off quite early to sort of get into a readiness state that they're sort of handed to the technical staff in line with the fitness staff at as early stage as possible to say, great, they can sort of do everything. They can change direction. They can, uh, they can ball strike over various distances. They can high speed. They've progressed up to exposures to sprinting. Those sorts of key objectives for me are really key over the probably the last or the first, sorry, sort of maybe four to seven sessions. Um, and then giving them a little bit of progressive load leading into that first maybe competitive game minutes then. Um, so, yeah, and that would be the same for the off-pitch stuff as well, potentially, is obviously you're trying to build and progress that load as well um, safely because you've got that, concurrent effect going on of pitch, gym, you know, recovery, um, in, you know, decreased sleep levels because they're waking up at a different time now because they, they're back into a structure, whatever it would be. Um, so I think 
that's really key is obviously trying to really integrate those things all back in together safely and not a, not spike anything at a different time then. So I think that those are those key sort of objectives for me really is of building in those first few weeks are really crucial. Connor, do you want to add to that, mate, in terms of your objectives? Yeah, so interestingly, probably how I would differ mine to wit. So by the end of the pre-season, I want players to be prepared for multiple matches, um, both physically but also tactically. So um, how I kind of look at it, look at it is going backwards from there. Um, so I want them to at least get two 90 minutes in um, throughout the pre-season. So that's one of my objectives. I want players, that's what I tell the coaches, we need to build our match minutes. So every player in the, uh, in the team has got two 90 minutes under their belt. Um, and then obviously throughout the whole, in, um, the whole pre-season period, you want them to stay injury-free. Um, so that allows the tactical elements. So they're there for every training and they can build that non-verbal communication that often a lot of coaches talk about. So that's kind of how I break it down. That's like my big goal. And then from then I break it down to like Wits is saying. So then I look at, okay, so based on the two years, I've now got a good idea of the first week of in-season, what type of load that looks like. Um, and then each week from then I just build backwards. So I know what my first first week and second week kind of look like. Um, yeah, and then this other small goal. So you want to make sure every player's been exposed to a max sprint in a controlled environment before they go into a game um, and work into your worst case scenarios. So whether that's through re repeated sprint training or whether that is in how the coaches want to do a sort of tactic. So I kind of, yeah, work backwards from it. Um, yeah, just doing it that, that way, really. Do you, want to add, do you want to add to that, Rob, and put your objectives uh, if there's anything different to the lads? Yeah, or similar to lads, I think I think I think it obviously it's easy for me to listen to them two talk and think a bit more philosophical. But I think we, when you first start thinking about preseason training and planning it, you get a bit overwhelmed. You think I've got all these components to fit in, and it's there's everything everywhere. I've got to do everything. Realistically, all you're doing is a progressive overloaded program for X amount of weeks. That's all it is. So. I like to just do an overview of this is what I'm doing for this block, this is what I'm doing for this block, this is what I'm doing for this block, and then start to break it down, um, really. So essentially, that's how I think. Um, and realistically, what we're trying to do is build physical capacities for players to execute the tactical roles that the manager wants. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure the players can do what the manager wants them to do. That's why we're here. Um, and then you're looking to not just do that on a single game, not the demands of a single game, but multiple games, like Connor said, just there. Um, and we're just trying to build them to that and then just work backwards. So reverse engineer back from that. And essentially that's that's it. Progressively overload the neuromuscular, like Witt said, and then work backwards from the game demands, how, how many game demands you need to, to condition them to, and work back from that to, to, to day one, week one. Because the fact is now as well that, from a, as a broad statement, we're not, and I feel like we should have got uh, someone else on from a, a different era because none of you are old enough to work with players that were uh, from an era of them turning up and being completely out of shape and and that sort of thing. But essentially now, um, players are coming back in good condition, aren't they? 
they're coming back and they've gem- generally, as a general statement, they've done stuff through the off-season. They've kept myself in good condition. I know Connor was talking just before we started recording, saying they've had lads in um, working throughout this time as well. So it's it's taken them where they're at, isn't it? Which is going to be very different to maybe 10 years ago or however long long uh, back we go in terms of players turning up completely out of shape. And the pre-season was then literally first few sessions is a case of dusting those cobwebs off completely, wasn't it? Yeah, I think with like technology nowadays as well, with like the Map My Run, Strava, um, it's definitely made pre-season planning a lot easier. I've got a great idea of um, where certain players are at now, whereas perhaps before you you were uncertain. Um, and it, it has kind of affected, if I'm going to give a little bit away, it's kind of affected how I'm planning my first week of pre-season. So, Last preseason, we had a lot of the, the, the core squad, a lot of players stayed and um, they followed the programme well and knew exactly what they were doing this season. I've not had as many people sending their sessions through. Um, so I was planning to do some sprint testing on the, the first, uh, on the second day back because um, in the programme, a lot of the work players are exposed to max sprinting. So it wouldn't be a problem. However, because I've not had a few back, I've kind of taking my foot off the gas a bit and rescheduled it for another time, purely based on the fact that I've now got evidence that players have done or haven't done something. Um, like in likewise, last season, I probably was able to accelerate my pre-season based on the fact that I knew they did the work through their recorded sessions. Anyone uh, want to jump in on that? Sorry, Wits. I, th- I think I'm, I'm probably jumping back into a little bit of what, what Rob said around the objectives really when, when, when I'm thinking about what I said and reflecting on what the boys had said is I think it's got a match to, to, to what the, the technical staff or, or the, the multidisciplinary team wants because it's, it's pointless really having my own objectives if they don't match with the other staff around. It, like you, we could have a perfect plan on paper that looks like all whistles in six weeks and it's really perfect, but you, you might put it up on a screen in front of the rest of the staff and like, oh, actually. Now that's changed. Now we're off on that. They were on it. They were doing this now. And you're like, unless you that that relationship and the communication with whoever is the key stakeholders, whether that's the manager, first team coach, assistant coach, in, in our sort of environment, whether that's head of medical, head of coaching, current manager, the PDP coaches, um, I think it has to be clearly planned alongside each other to sort of know, like what Robert's in here right now, technical tactical demands when are they planning to integrate certain things? So it might be like, I don't know, when are we trying to look at out of possession pressing principles? What day are we going to try and start to do that? And how can that affect what we do from a physical perspective? So we probably make sure we tick those things off before they go into that session or make sure that um, we try and integrate it as best as we can. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's key that straight away that that relationship and the communication is there so it's delivered from an integrated fashion rather than the the, the sports science or SNC is perfectly happy because they got a great great plan on their laptop but it actually doesn't doesn't flow like that yeah that's yeah that, to be honest with you, that's what i was trying to get out is i've just give an overview of obviously yeah we need to build physical capacities everybody knows that but we need to know what the manager wants. Then you can work back from that and you can be like, right, okay, well, 
this player X hasn't got the aerobic capacity to deal with repeated sprints as a fullback. So we need to improve that player's aerobic capacity. Obviously, you do it collectively as a whole uh, and get everyone up to a baseline. Then you look at individuals, you know, building from there. But unless you know where the manager wants to go, you're not, you, you're, you're, it's having a stab in the dark, basically. And it ties into what Connor said about before as well, isn't it? Because there's a fine margin between getting players injury free throughout that period and getting the right intensity into him, isn't there? And that's that's where it comes into, I suppose, managing each individual within the squad as well, doesn't it? In in terms of people coming back, maybe having different injuries the previous season, obviously different injury histories, um, but then making sure everyone's ready to go on that on those first few games. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you can obviously you can do you do certain tests, and I'm a I'm a big fan of Martin Boucher and his work uh, with the the 3015 test, the intermittent fitness test, and that helps you to individualise running intensities, especially for the first probably two or three weeks. And then you're looking at you get into games, you're you're you you look at more at top ups or add ons rather than than actual condition sessions for the squad. But that helps you to kind of individualised within a squad environment when you're having three or four running groups based on the test scores from that rather than just everyone's doing the same run here we go like it used to be so that does that definitely does help well we'll move it on to and I know this again comes into um, you've got to take into the fact that there's other people in control of the pre-season period or other inputs in terms of the, the manager and um, even logistically with the club and um, obviously everything that's going on with COVID and restrictions and stuff at the moment. But I wanted to talk about the length of pre-season. So if you were literally in charge of that period and you could plan out, we're going to have X amount of weeks, where would you go with it? Um, I know this can be a bit of an open discussion, but I just thought it'd be good for coaches to hear or, or get into the mind, your mindset around how long you'd want for a pre-season period. Um, Rob, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So I've had I've had this conversation a few times, um, and I think in terms of having time to work with players, longer is better, essentially. But we haven't got that freedom. So I, I, I've spoken to rugby quite a bit, and they they've got quite a a good way of doing it. So what they what they do is they have a general prep period, uh, and this is rugby union coaches, veteran uh, leadership coaches, spoken to their general prep period for like four weeks. Uh, or 21 days, just over 21 days. And then they have a little break where the players can go away for like four or five days. And then they come back into specific prep or more like competitive prep. So I quite like that model where you've got four weeks or so to build capacities. You can periodize, you know exactly what's happening rather than games being thrown in here and there. And then within the second block period, then the games start to happen. So you, you can definitely build, make players stronger, fitter, more robust within that four-week period. And then you're just sort of topping up and adding on, really. Because typically we have six weeks, don't we, in, in football. I'm not sure who decided six weeks, but it's always been six weeks since I worked in football. Um, but having that extra sort of period, extra two weeks added on top of it to help us split it down the middle and then give the lads a nice little carrot in between where they, they've got some time to go away with their family. I, for me, that I think that'll probably work better. Do you know of anyone, Rob, that, that incorporates that in football? Is that literally just from... In football, no. In football, no. I know that some clubs will have like open sessions where you can come in the two weeks preceding the start of pre-season training, uh, but they're not compulsory and you can have, I don't know, like a couple of sessions a week or something like that. But I don't know anyone 
within football that has done an eight-week preseason. In fact, I might have heard of. Um, I think I heard Joey Barton when he went into Fleetwood somewhere just popped into my head that they came in two weeks earlier for pre-season to have an eight-week pre-season. How they structured it, I don't know. Whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. But I, I just remember hearing it a few seasons ago. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I don't know anyone in per- personally that does an eight-week pre-season there. Everyone's typically six weeks. And I think that's why it's good to have these discussions, isn't it? To challenge the norm a little bit. But then at the same time, if six weeks works, then... That, that's fine. And obviously we know that it can be out of our hands. But Connor, what about yourself, mate, in terms of the length of a pre-season period? Yeah, so I think, like Rob says, on, on paper, you probably say eight weeks and you would do like a four-week split. So you have your general prep, your specific prep. The, the side to that, which again, I've never ex- been exposed to a football environment in that in that way or seen it been, being done. But my concern would be, would players almost burn out in that period? Um, even though you'd imagine the first two weeks of that general prep would be very low load, very gradual. Would they still feel like it's been a long, long season already at that stage? Um, so I quite like the idea of, yeah, having that week break in the middle um, would be nice. Admittedly, I don't know the schedules for rugby union, so I don't know, do they get a longer off season? So therefore they still get a bit of a break before it and then go in. Um, so I'd say, yeah, on paper, eight weeks, but would that actually work? Would players enjoy that? Based on my knowledge of the players, I'd probably say no, um, that I've worked in. Uh, but I said, Robert, I know you guys um, didn't have any playoffs last season based on the lockdown and stuff. Um, I know we spoke about it potentially doing eight weeks, so I take it you didn't do it in the end, the eight-week build-up. Uh, we wanted to after lockdown so obviously players are off for five months and we thought well to build capacities we were, I, I thought right we'll do this eight week pre-season that I just said see how it goes but in terms of money we got told no the players it's, it's going to cost the club too much to do that so we had to meet in the middle with a, a six week pre-season unfortunately but yeah we did we did want to do eight weeks and have that little little break in between but it didn't, didn't come off in the end yeah well that's already one other reason why eight weeks might not work money from the club's point of view, there, there's so many factors, I guess, that you have to consider. But from a probably physiological perspective, yeah, I would I would say eight weeks. Wits, anything to add on that? What do you think of the eight-week period? No, I think I think the boys are on, on the money, really, and, and like what the, the lads have said around that sort of, and what we mentioned earlier, in that off-season period changing a little bit, whether... Clubs choose to almost elong or to bolt on at the end of an off season a little bit more compulsory work. Maybe it's not a full week or, or whatever how it looks creates that extension of the loading for that general prep potentially. So you get a little bit more control of, um, you know I mean post testing sort of session one post testing can be probably a little bit more advanced than than it would be traditionally if if you have no idea of what the lads are coming back like. So. I think, and I know that in academy settings will probably be a little bit more structured around that off-season period because they're trying to get the lads in, especially from that under-16 to under-17, 18 jump. So we come from part-time schoolboy football into full-time scholarship apprenticeship. That jump in load can be quite significant because towards the back end of their under-16 year academy, 
they get their decisions relatively early. They're sort of sent away to concentrate on exams. So their training load starts to sort of creep and drop down. So I think um, apart from this year, previously that they, they would finish quite relatively early. So they got a big chip. They probably need to have that longer building to make it safe as they, as they progress into sort of full-time football. Um, yeah, I think that that would have an ideal chunk uh, of time is going to be like we're, I'm watching the Euros now thinking oh, and even players within our club and within our first team environment the, 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 the club are back in testing over the weekend now and I'm like players are still like playing so they're, they're going to go back in at, at and they're going to be needed for that first league game so their pre-season might be two three weeks and what it's going to look like so I think it's it's difficult to say, yeah, we want to have an ideal structure because different clubs are going to have lots of pockets of players who are actually going to be missing from that pre-season. So I think the challenge for the practitioners at, at any level um, is how to sort of reintegrate them, progress them safely, knowing off the back of what what their sort of off-season period is going to look like. I don't know if you of you have referenced uh, last year, which we all know was chaotic to say the least, but are there any other lessons um, that you might take going forward that possibly got you thinking about certain aspects of, of pre-season um, in particular from, from last year or not? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I'd say um, it made me rethink how I structured pre-season uh, if you like, because because we had to go into essentially Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, very, very high density of fixtures. I was thinking, and we've had five five months off, I, I thought, how can we progressively overload these players to tolerate three games per week in a six-week preseason period when they've not done much leading up to it? I mean, they've, they've been doing off-season programmes and obviously we've been tracking them more so since, since we've been off since through Strava, Matt run that sort of thing. But you don't know exactly what they've been doing, whether they've been doing their strength programs, etc. So it just made me change my approach really to try and get more work into the players safely. And actually I thought it was going to be, we just, we just rolled with it last year. Um, I thought we were going to have injuries and we didn't have a single injury through pre-season luckily. So touch wood. Um, so I think we probably will take that approach and, and go forward with it. And it wasn't nothing. It's nothing revolutionary, really. It was just. It was just. It was just like we did a. Instead of doing what I used to do, was have a like a hard day on a Tuesday, hard day on a Thursday, moderate Friday, uh, moderate Monday, Friday, and a, an easy day on a Wednesday, so they can recover in between bouts. And all I did was change it around to the more tactical periodization model, where we do like an endurance day on a Monday. Uh, strength or like intensive day on a Tuesday, Wednesday's your recovery day, Thursday's like a bit of a hybrid where you do a bit of both uh, and Friday's like a more tactical day for the coaches where they can get their points in in, in amongst and there, any players that need topping up, you can do that on the Friday uh, and that seemed to work, that seemed to work really. Um, we I, I did that for the first two weeks of pre-season until games started kicking in um, and that was it and that was it, that seemed to work quite well. Chuck in a, a, a couple of gym sessions on a, on a Tuesday and a Thursday and and that was it. I, but previously, yeah, two days a week was the, the most we sort of overloaded them. And then you add in the, the game on, on week week two, if you're doing a six-week preseason. 
Um, so we just added in that extra day to try and get a bit more load through them, and, and it and it and it worked. You'd be actually surprised how much the lads can can tolerate. Now, I mentioned at the start of the podcast our online community. So for anyone that doesn't know about the community, we've got an online platform. We have over 40 hours now. It could even be up to 50 of webinars and presentations around a number of different topics around football fitness available for you to watch on demand um, from loads of different practitioners across the world of S&C, sports science, nutrition. Um, so you can go and check it out. You get a free month when you sign up. So if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. It'll give you one month free on the community. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. And we've got some great stuff coming over the next few months. We've got some new partnerships to announce. So we have loads of different partner discounts available on the community. So we've got some new partnerships to announce. We've also got a few new webinars coming as well. Um, one coming up on strength and power in team sports or developing strength and power in team sports. Joining the last few webinars, so we had Tom Joel from... Leicester City presenting on using different levels of feedback to help inform practice and then also the nutrition guru been on the podcast a few times Matt Jones um, presented on football nutrition a periodized approach so there's loads of webinars and presentations available just like those and I mentioned at the start of the podcast as well about our event at QPR all the, all the presentations from our meetings get uploaded to the community as well. So if you can't make the events, you'll still be able to watch the presentations by becoming a community member. So if you're not already a member, go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there and you get your free month and you can join today. Here's part two of the podcast with Andrew, Connor and Rob. Anything on that, Wits? Yeah, I was just thinking about obviously that that sort of return post COVID. So obviously, when you're looking at jumping through the hoops, whatever that was like, non-contact, small group, um, those first stage of training we had to go through. That sort of in and out culture of you, you arrive at the pit side, you get your boots on, you train, and you go. Those sorts of things, but more specifically, the, the detail of the sessions we had to deliver because you, because you because you're constrained by time, like you only got 60 minutes on pitch or 75 minutes on pitch. Your planning has to be really, really good. Whereas probably pre-COVID or like pre-other sessions, you sort of sessions tend to sometimes elongate and just like the volume becomes a little bit bigger because you're just sort of trying to plod along and get stuff done. Whereas like I think, because if you've got time constraints, your planning has to be really, really good. And I think maybe reflecting on those smaller sessions so when you're dealing with three, four, five players um, and that non-contact stimulus, that um, progressive loading into contact, um, I think it was really beneficial probably to work alongside the coaches from that stage. Probably quite similar to like a rehab setting that we'd be familiar with where you've got like small group work, you're trying to progress them through, especially that non-contact stage, what can you do? How can you create it to be like positionalized um, to get the exposure of build up with, within that small group? Um, so I think some of the sort of the drills and the practices we probably did at that stage last year, obviously we were lucky enough to obviously film them, have the data for them so we can try and use them when we go back in across the preseason this this time. So I think that from a learning, learning tool was good. Um, and then also I think 
being creative a little bit with with the gym based stuff because you might not have had a gym you might have been pitch side gym it might have been short short blocks in the gym um so having to sort of microdose and get little bits in across the week um it can probably have us transfer into to in season now or pre-season in season when you're trying to cram stuff in um so just getting little hits little snippets of the work you want to do so I think maybe that there's sort of two sort of reflections and we can build on and sort of use moving forward. Connor, I'll get you to jump in on that in a second, but I was just going to add to that in terms of your individual approaches and your philosophies on preseason. So going before COVID as well, even though COVID has, like we've talked about, made you sort of maybe rethink a few things. Are there anything that stands out for you in terms of your approaches to the preseason period over your your careers and the different roles you've been in so far? Um, Connor, do you want to? Is there anything that sort of springs out to you? Um, well, obviously, I went from being at Cardiff to then probably Exeter League Two, so a bit more old school, perhaps. Um, so. Without any disrespect, um, our manager, he liked a lot of isolated running, whereas previously, like under Wits, I know he follows more of a football periodization model. Um, so that was what I was kind of used to, like using small-sided games as conditioning, only really doing any isolated running that was um, for high-speed purposes. So when I came to Exeter in the first week, manager uh, Matt, who still is now, was saying these runs he likes, um, what did I think of them? Um, bear in mind, I did a lot of reading from, I think Rob mentioned it earlier, Martin Boucher, and we're not trying to plug this book, by the way, but um, it is a good book. Um, but yeah, Martin Boucher, Hit Guide, um, or Hit Bible, not 100% sure, but just looking at time at VO2 max, um, being in certain heart rate zones. And, and to be fair, looking at some of these isolated running drills um, just by chatting to him and modifying maybe the, the volume that we did. So rather than say, this is just purely, I'm not going to give the exact details, but say if it was a 30 minute run, we brought it down to maybe two 12 minute runs or two eight minute runs or, or that in that, if that makes sense. Um, I was able to actually find a way to really easily control the adaptation. So it's, um, yeah, I would say that that was that's the, been the biggest um, change from my point of view of my pre-seasons, going from a football conditioning perspective to isolated running. And, um, and that's not to say we don't do any football conditioning, we do. Like we still follow the, the principles going from extensive work, so larger sided games in the first beginning weeks to then going into more intensive games in the latter. But there's less of a focus of progressing our small side of game minutes and not very much volume of that. Um, but especially in the early weeks, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of isolated running that we do now. And I personally quite like that. Um, purely just down to the fact this, I mean, it's a lot more work for me than doing a football conditioning, but I, I quite like it in the fact that, yeah, I've got a lot of control on how much high speed running we can do. Um, so I know what speeds players are running at. I can, again, individualise it, like Rob says, um, based upon our testing scores. So it actually, that that really changed my philosophy on how a pre-season should be done. I, I definitely came from probably the new school of it's got to be football conditioning, why, why are we running? So then, yeah, working with Matt and um, seeing good game, yeah, really good games from it. We had a really good first season, which 
maybe we'll talk about it later. But um, yeah, it's, yeah. That's a great, it's a great point. And that's something I wanted to go on to in a little bit as well, in terms of the um, impact the manager and the coaches have on your approach as well. Because obviously we know that that changes um, with who you're working with. But Rob, do you want to just take that from, from there in terms of not necessarily the managers yet, but in terms of your approach, is there anything that you feel like? Yeah, so similar to Connor, I mean, as I've come through academy, uh, it, I think... <sighs> you are I think when you first come into football you're happy to be there really and you just kind of just add bits on to what the coaches want to do and as you get a bit you get your foot in the door a bit more you have a bit more say and then people start to listen to you once you build rapport with the coaches so I've developed that way so essentially it was just isolated running I was adding in and now I've come sort of full circle where I where I kind of not control, but guide the coaches into what football-based drills would be appropriate, especially for the first two to three weeks or 14 to 21 days of pre-season. And it's learning the how to manipulate the intensities, the area sizes and that sort of thing. So before it was just, yeah, you can do what you want. I'll just add some running drills alongside. And now it's actually, let's start with lowering neuromuscular load-based drills. So I typically keep coaches within, especially for the first week, six six v six to eight v eight, because we know that the demands of them are lower than match um, outputs, um, and then progress on as you get through preseason. So start with them, probably more non-directional possession, because we know as you add direction, the players will press more, the intensity gets higher, and then just slowly increasing intensity by adding the possessions into directional, and then going into your, your 10v10s or 5v5s and then progressing that to 1v1s and, and bits and pieces like that. So that's probably how I've changed really is is helping the, the managers manipulate area sizes, meter square per player, that sort of thing. Um, and the actual intensities of each drills, um, which I've learned from speaking to coaches, reading about, reading bits and around it and and then clipping each drill that play, the coaches do and learning that actually if you add a directional, if you add a goal in or an end zone, the players are going to press more because they're defending their end zone. Um, if you add players in on the side, they don't really high speed run as much um, because they're passing sidewards. So learning that sort of thing and trying to help the coaches and guide the coaches into progressively overloading the players over the first two or three weeks. That's probably how I've, I've changed most um, over the last sort of six or so, six or so years or seven years I've been in football. What about yourself, Wurtz? I think um, uh, like a, a combination, really, and, and a mixture. And, and I don't know whether we're going to cover it a little bit later, but probably prepared players um, to utilise a different model sort of in-season as well. You know I mean, so that has to have to have a... Right, I always try and make it sure it has a knock-on effect when Rob talked about that reverse engineering. So, for example, if, if you're like over a few years, we... And I know he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, like Damien Roden's sort of an adaption of football periodization. So it weren't as um, step-by-step as, as Raymond presents in the book, but it's almost like taking the key principles of, of those ideas of, of that progressive um, game-based conditioning and sort of overloading and underloading around it and the sort of uh, the isolated running that he prescribes alongside it. Um, we, we did that. So I've, I've got experience of running those components over a couple of pre-seasons and that's that's very can be quite prescriptive so what, what Rob's saying around the coaches is 
that can be quite prescriptive in terms of the games, right? It's free 12 minutes today in this area size, and, and that's what it is, you know what I mean? And next week we're going to do this, the week after we're going to do this. Um, and, and, and what we spoke about earlier, that progressive overload is it, it's really good for that because it controls or allows you to provide controls to move forward. Um, one thing I tried to do, implement it when implementing that sort of model is try and use the data to back that up. So use, using the GPS data, like Rob's saying, is like categorizing the game. So, right, we're on a three times 12 minute 10 v 10 week. What is the intensity of the three blocks? Is it maintained across the three blocks um, for all the players in certain metrics? Um, are we warranting the next step? If intensity is, is, hasn't been a main, maintained across the three blocks for whatever reason, whether that's fatigue, whether that's player motivation, whatever it would be, um, try to provide a little bit of more of an objectivity to that to that model itself. Um, and then also probably of the flip side of the last few seasons using the tactical periodization model. So how do we, how early do you get that principle of those two back-to-back conditioning days? Um, so looking back of sort of last preseason is implementing that in place and looking at how you build um, successfully and efficiently across those two consecutive days um, would be a, would be a challenge really. So they're the sort of the experiences I would say of trying to implement different models. So you've got your in-season model of what it's going to look like. How do you implement that back into the preseason? So. Um, and then also, how does that affect the um, the planning modalities that Rob just talked about around, like area size, conversation with coaches, uh, drill design, practice design? I think from a personal perspective, that's obviously where my strengths are from that coaching and performance background is that I can really say, actually, that's what that player needs in that moment and sort of look at the, the technical, tactical demands with the physical and say, that exercise is going to, or that practice is going to really give him bang for your buck in that situation. Um, so I think for succinct planning, um, it's trying to impart that sort of knowledge into the, into the sessions, really. Brilliant. And then we'll move on to um, some different approaches under different managers now. And we don't have to name names or name clubs or anything like that. But the way I'm thinking about this is that we might have some coaches that have worked with the same manager. And they know that approach inside out. It might not have changed that much across the time at the club. Or we might even have people that have not been in roles at clubs. So it, I thought it'd just be good to... Uh, pick your brains on some of the different approaches and maybe just some of the different approaches that have changed your approach then or made you adapt. Um, I know Connor's just mentioned um, about his current club there uh, going from Cardiff, but if, if there was anything else, um, which you want to, do you want to start us off on that? Yeah, I, th- I think trying to reflect in terms of maybe how many sort of coaches that I've been in positions working alongside. I think whether that's an academy setting or a first team setting, there's always going to be sort of biases around certain elements um, in season, pre-season. So some, some what we talked about earlier might be really for uh, mental robustness driven through isolated running or even not even isolated running as a pitch base. It might be like away from the training ground, go and do these types of activities. So I think it's, 
Um, really finding a balance of what I spoke about earlier, of that collaboration and understanding what they want from it. Um, and then sort of trying to build your program from a preseason around that. Um, but obviously holding your key principles um, that you think is going to be successful. So, and obviously having, having a, a, the ability to, to sort of stand up and put your point across. Um, obviously the, the, the boys are probably in a, in a, in a more pressure situation because the managers themselves are in a more pressure situation. So they probably can't afford to waste sessions across the period. It's gotta be, it's gotta be right. Um, but maybe within a, a developmental setting, like the academy, that the, our development of physical, technical, tactical development doesn't stop when that first league game under 18s and 23s level starts. So it should continue all the way through anyway. So I think um, in terms of changes of personal philosophy and um, anything that stands out is, I think, similar to what Connor just said, that I think it's, I think the importance and there is room for isolated running. Um, and I think because you can get that control element of certain athletic development qualities certain ticking physiological markers off as you go through. Um, but then also ensuring that um, that individualization is there, whether that's positional, whether that's based on screening tests and scores like the lads have mentioned previously are sort of key. So I think it's probably gone full circle. So if I'm speaking to someone now, I would be trying to say, right, what sort of do you want from your, your preseason period? Um, and then also devising that sort of integrated approach. So I think if I'm planning a preseason now, it's going to have some sort of football conditioning element where it's sort of game-based and practice design is really important. But I'm thinking, actually, I do warrant some time of isolated running that's going to develop sort of mental robustness, but also tick off good quality physical athletic development at the same time. Rob, anything on that? Um, yeah, it depends on, I think, I think I've just worked out actually, this is my, I've started my 10th season in football. I thought it was about six or seven and it's, it's been flown by really, to be honest. Um, but I've been at Donny for, for four seasons now and I'm now into my third, fourth manager since I've been here. So actually what's happened typically is a manager's left so the last, so first two managers left during the off-season period. So I basically had to plan pre-season myself and then hope that the manager was okay with it and just roll with it. And sometimes we haven't even had a manager appointed until the first week of pre-season. And you think sacked or you might bring someone else in. So you've got all that running through your head, really. Um and then it happened again. That manager then that went well. That's preseason was probably my best preseason actually. Um, and then it happened the next season where the manager left, and then another manager come in halfway through preseason. And again, you're thinking, are the players fit enough? Are they not fit enough? I don't know what the manager wants. Um, but I think I think what happened, what's changing now in football is you're getting clubs that the clubs are having more philosophy, so that they're. Appointing like a director of football, having a style of play they want to play, and then more and more you see in the 
the approach in terms of staff is staff, uh, club staff, and the management will come in and change. But like the, your your backroom staff, support staff, physios, your your sports science staff, um, your analysts, they're kind of staying, and you're getting to know the players a bit better. You're getting to know the philosophy a bit better, so you can kind of build your pre-season you, you got an idea of where you want to go really even if a manager comes in and out and I think that's what our club is trying to do now at the moment um, but yeah in terms of management and how that affects it massively because you don't know whether a manager like Connor said wants to do some old school running which I do think has a place by the way um, or they want to let you do you do the first two or three weeks don't want to see him touching the ball um, yeah it, it, it changes everything really so I've gone through Managers that do the magic clock where they're doing runs, do mental robust run, mentally robust runs where they're basically they're not timing, they've just got a stopwatch in the hands, not even got batteries in it. And they're like they're counting players in, or they've got a whistle where they're blowing the whistle and say, right, you carry on running until this whistle goes. And they're having a conversation with you about what they're doing that evening. And then they blow the whistle, the lads are on the floor and they go in again. But I do think that has a place. Um going full circle to where I've been planning every individualised running session, every uh, possession, ev- everything um, from when the managers weren't in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's gone full circle. It's surprisingly, actually, we all worked under a certain manager, I won't say the name, where they did most of the pre-season running where the magic clock came out and they were very, very successful. They got promotion, I think, actually, in that season when they when they did it. Um, but they were doing very, very old school running but again, it worked. So there's not a right or wrong way for a manager to do it. As long as you get to that end goal at the end of pre-season or the end of the season where you want to be, it's, it's not wrong, really. Um, but yeah, they, they dictate a lot, the management. Obviously, rightly so, because we're just there to support them. But they dictate a lot. So it's changed my approach um, with every manager. Connor, what do you think about, in terms of isolated running, um, do you think, and I'm not saying this this should lead the program at all, but do you think players are expecting that, like from from sort of previous experiences or their way of thinking about a preseason period? Is it something that you think they're expecting? Hundred percent, I think, especially at, like almost at a lower level than these two at League Two, I think it is expected that they're going to work hard. So, for example, um, one. Week two, maybe we might do a 120% MAS or IVFT run. Um, and I had one player do it. He was our fittest player. It was individualised to him. But because it didn't make him feel sick, he didn't feel like he was getting the benefits out of it. Um, so that's, that's one of the difficulties I would say that I have to deal with is that players are expecting to feel sick every time they do a run. And like Rob says, there there is a place for it, um, but no, by no means should every single isolated running session be run till you're sick, or you should, every single isolated running. So, like I said, Matt wanted to do one of these runnings, but that that was it was all timed. Everything was planned. It wasn't just a random run or random distances. Everything was measured out. It is just purely not with a ball. Um, but yeah, de- dealing with players who thinks sometimes they haven't worked hard because then you maybe do begin to doubt yourself. But um, I would just say just back yourself. As long as you're following what what you know, what you've read, um, it typically works out. And nowadays, like I said, Matt's very happy with the runs that I do. Um, I have full control over them. Like I said, I've actually took stuff that he has done 
adapted it myself and put it in and he ends up liking what I've done more. Um, so, so yeah, I hope I haven't waffled on too much and gone off topic, but yeah, um, definitely at lower level players think that you have to run to be sick almost every single run, whereas that's, that's not the case and I would not recommend that. Um, you want your runs to be hard and you should choose the right times for your runs to be hard. So I would say if you are going to do a run similar to that, so we do have one run that I would say pushes a player to that edge, um, I would typically do that with a day off the next day or two days off, so at the end of the week. And as Rob mentioned, um, neuromuscular strain. So again, I could be going off topic here, I'm really sorry. But ways that I um, prescribe my work with players is CV load and neuromuscular load. Um, so during the early weeks, I want to target CV, so your heart, your lungs, and my 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 runs are going to be as minimal neuromuscular load as possible. So whether that's through more straight line running, less turns, or having players running trainers. So that's two ways. That, that that's why I like isolated running because um, because you can manipulate those those variables. Really. Brilliant. And then I wanted to talk about your most successful pre-season period so far um, and why the most important thing is why so why was it a success um, Rob do you want to start us off I know you you might have referenced it a couple yeah. of minutes ago but so, so give people some some context to it so just starting in, in first team football the manager a manager brought me in halfway through the I think it's 2017-2018 season calls me just as I'm about to go on holiday um, and says he's leaving um, all the best you know, the, the moon manager were coming in due course. So I was like, wow. So like, I've, I've just come into first team football. I've been here six, eight months. Manager's leaving. What am I going to do? Like, I didn't know that the club were quite happy with me then. I didn't know, I didn't know where I stood, basically. So there's me frantically trying to plan pre-season. I'm going through it with a fine tooth comb, trying to get the best out of it I could. Um, trying to liaise with the coaches that, that were there, you know, that I knew that were going to be helping out. Uh, and it, yeah, it was stressful. It was stressful. Um, we didn't didn't appoint a new manager until the end of I think it was the, the end of the first week. Um, so I had to sort of plan everything. And then yeah, the manager came in, saw my plan, and thought, "Yep, okay, I'm happy with that. That seems roughly what I'm going to do, what I want to do." Uh, started wrong with that. We then went away to La Manga in the second week in pre-season. And I was just trying to do as much and be look as busy as I could really just to try and make him think, right, this guy, I mean, you don't, it's not necessarily that you know what you're doing. It's actually, he's working hard. So that's what they can see first. Uh, and then the, the, the proof is in the, in the, in the pudding really at the end, if the players are fit for what they want to do. Um, he had a, a very high press, intense sort of transitional style of play where the players have to be very fit for. Um, so which I only found out obviously after the first week. So then we increased, I tried to push the intensity towards the end of, end of pre-season. Um, and we started well. And then that season we ended up getting to the playoff semi-final. And anecdotally, the, the manager mentioned this, I didn't, but the, the team we were playing, a couple of the players went down with cramp because it went into extra time. We were fine. Um, I think the physio did give us our lads, uh, um, I can't remember what you call it, but like, uh, you, found, you found it, you find it naturally in um, tonic water. I can't remember exactly what it's called now, but um, anyway, he gave them tablets before that to help the cramp. So I didn't, I didn't tell the manager that or the, or the board. I just said, yeah, that's because they're the fittest team in the league. 
But then, and then the board commented me after that. He said, look, we were really fit this season. And to be honest, it's probably down to the way the manager trained and played. But we had no injuries in pre-season, had a good start to the season, then went on to the, the playoffs. So I think in the situation I was in, where just coming to first team football, I was looking for the manager to guide me a little bit and what they wanted to do to having to plan a whole pre-season for a first team. And then you've got a new manager coming in. That, that was massive for me really and then for it to go well no injuries start the season well end up in the playoffs I'd say that's probably my the best season I've had or the best pre-season I've had really rightly or wrongly whether it was the best on paper it just it just seemed to work really it just seemed to work so I think the fact that the manager had a high intensity um, style of training and playing probably helped me towards the end because I didn't have to do he did my work for me within his, his session so Connor, what about yourself? Um, so I've got two, really. I'd say, well, I don't know if you count. Um, obviously, post-lockdown, we had the playoffs to prep for. So we literally had three weeks to get ready for three games. Um, so during that time, I was giving out remote programmes to players, um, putting in countless hours of work on it I've never really had to do something in that much detail before there's a lot a lot of detail into it um obviously it was based from the first pre-season that I had which I also would it's between those two my first pre-season Exeter or then the mini pre-season that I call it if it counts the pre-season like it was it was a three-week block but I'm counting it as a pre-season um but yeah so players were given work off season um I did a few like trials or tests before and um was able to like predict which players would be on top um and they all came through as i predicted so that was one good reason behind it um we had zero injuries in this three week block which probably is this three weeks maybe that's why players didn't get injured not long enough um but they were then able to play a 90 minutes first game against um, Colchester away which we did actually lose we actually looked a bit sluggish so I was very worried um, but then second game at home we were absolutely on fire and were able to go into extra time um, zero players had cramp um, we didn't take any supplements although I think Rob did uh, advise me on something like that but I wasn't sure I wasn't sure about it or well, my doc wasn't sure I think I get I did suggest it to the doc and he um Gave me a bit of a look like it's for old people at night, some night cramps is what he told me. So, but luckily enough, yeah, they got through it. So um, we did end up tanking it at Wembley, but um, that was hopefully not fitness related. But yeah, that was, that was a real eye opener to me of for players to tolerate 120 minutes, whether that's off adrenaline, I don't know. But um, the fact that I was able to predict who would be the fitter players and those who I suggested to, typically ended up in the starting team. Um, yeah, that was a real successful one for me in that regard. Wits, what about yourself? More successful pre-season period? No, no playoff ending for me, that these boys, but uh, <laughs> I, th I think probably the, the boys have sort of highlighted what, what maybe signified a, a, a good pre-season or a a positive pre-season, so it probably resonates with me the same across multiple pre-seasons is, are the players robust? So have they sort of got through the period that they're ready to perform to a level and, and sort of start well in competitive games? 
um, uh, has the manager or the coach or, or, or the academy staff been able to implement whatever that developmental philosophy is in that possession? Um, players being able to spend time individually developing on the areas that they need to work on. Um, I think the only question mark I would probably say is that across that robustness is from a, a developmental setting is sometimes is keeping everyone really, really available all the time the best thing. It, like I'm probably going to contradict what I said earlier, but I probably could not know that I could keep 18 players in a safe, really safe zone across the period of the first six to 12, 14 weeks of the season. But is that going to get them closer in our club to the first team or to the 23s or um, pushing the ceiling to go and play and be physically dominant enough at Doncaster or Exeter if they go on loan, for example? So I think it's, it's, it's that sort of trade-off of really, really pushing the players physically and developing them enough. Um, but not having that sort of mindset that great, we, we got 100% availability, but actually it's, you haven't really pushed the envelope and pushed them to the edge a little bit. Um, so I think that's probably different. So I think that's what probably warrants to me a successful preseason is that all those components are sort of nailed and, and you probably feel, whether that's anecdotally or objectively, your markers that you test at preseason that testing block one and block two in season, they're really, they're, they're jumping up. They're, they're seeing strength gains, power gains, speed gains. Um, and you really push the development level. Um, so that would probably be a difference, different to the lads. But I think it's all, it's always great that those first couple of se- games of the season that you, like your boys are saying, you ain't running people, they're getting cramped, they're getting those things. Because what you talk about earlier is it's almost buy-in then, isn't there? So your ideas of whatever you signified as being a positive experience um, probably have a knock-on effect. So what Rob's talking about, that situation where he's had the experience of planning and devising the pre-season, manager comes in, says, okay, let's roll with it. It's a success. That that relationship is developed then so they can really um, build on that moving forward then. The only thing is, Wits, they only stay for a season and then they go, so the relationship's gone. <laughs> it must be me. It must be me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say on, on that, Wits, though, as well, when uh, John Goodwin was on the podcast from Fulham, he said the exact same thing to you. He, he was talking about availability um, in regards to availability or development, essentially, and what on what the focus should be at academy level. And he was saying exactly the same. Like, for him, it's a d- development developmental stage and um, it isn't just a case of keeping people um, available throughout that time is it they, they need to progress as well so yeah I think anyone that's not listening to that episode like John was John had a very similar sort of thought path on that um, lads we'll just wrap it up with just a few questions so I'll put out on our social media just about us running the preseason podcast um, and we've had a few questions sent in, so I'm going to throw these at you now. Anyone jump in on these? Um, first one being, how to, someone's just wrote, how to manage load without GPS apart from readiness questionnaires? So I don't know whether this is someone maybe working a semi-pro club, part-time possibly, um, but what would your approach be for um, 
managing loads without, I, without I, GPS? I'd say if you go from the approach of if you know the if you know roughly what you want to do, uh, I would probably go. I probably go RPE as an intensity metric, and then time as the volume one, the basic one. So you can look at individual players, and then you can get a team average, and then just plan it as if you you kind of. I would start with you know six v six, eight v eight for the first week, uh, non-directional to directional. Second week, maybe start introducing some eleven v eleven, smaller area, then increase it. So essentially, moderate area sizes to larger area sizes then small area sizes that's how i i basically and do it and then if you're working off the intensities of like the, the mass or the velocity of intermittent fitness test from the 3015 progressively increase from 85 percent or 90 percent up to 110 or whatever you're going to work to that's that's how i'd work it progressively overload them over the over the first few weeks perfect anyone else on that yes yeah, so obviously for, from a sports science metric yeah i would say rpe times duration, so session RPE. Um, then just tracking your minutes. So like Wits would say, like football periodization overload of that. So say session one, 8v8, you do three times eight minutes. Um, session two, you do another 8v8, progress it maybe by a minute, three times nine minutes. Um, that way. Um, I did have someone else. I just totally forgot what was in my head. Oh, what was it? Um, maybe let wits let wits answer, and then um, I'll see if I can yeah. think again. I'm so sorry. Anything to add, wits? I, I think it's, it's almost trying to um, what the guys talked about. It is almost reverse engineering what 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 you want from it, and I think I think most practitioners now, or most experienced practitioners from a external load perspective if they've used it for long enough and they and, and they've planned and delivered a certain type of program it's it's almost just confirming what you what you sort of would expect if you know what i mean so back to what rob spoke about earlier around like the lots of the variables of manipulation i think there's there's lots of components that um can be manipulated so that's pitch size block length number of blocks bits what um, Connor was talking then of some sort of progressive conditioning game model of like what well, right this is some objective measure to say actually step four three times 12 minutes the players subjectively coaches rp the, the boys are cruising it you know what i mean so then it gives you a um a sort of a reasoning to move on so i would say like a if you can get a balance of those nice what the lads talked about of the probably more scientific subjective measures of wellness, RP, um, RP load in terms of session duration, and then sort of combining it with the more planning and delivery tools. Um, I think you can sort of create a, a, a nice balanced approach. So from an academy setting, only the top age groups obviously have objective data in terms of GPS and, and those sorts of things. So, Maybe part of my, or definitely part of my role in terms of educating the coaches that deliver without the technologies is speaking about all those things. So how can you create a progressive training model that's not reliant on numbers, but it's relied on good solid principles of of training from a scientific perspective and then also from a integrative perspective. Has it gone back, Connor? It has, but I think Wits smashed that one out of the park. <laughs> um, 
but yeah no mine was was from a Maz Maz perspective it's just yeah just just knowing your sets and reps on certain runs and then you in your distances and you can kind of gauge it from that way so I probably I don't know who's this question's for but I wouldn't recommend so say if you're going by Maz yeah I'd say in your first week or two go no higher than definitely 120% Maz um maybe then in weeks three and four you can go to like your 130s 140s but no, I think Wits, the way Wits described it then was, was, was bang on, really. Well, well, that's for Eclipse Rehab UK. Um, we've got another one, and I know that you could go into loads of detail on this, but we'll try and keep it as brief as possible. This person has asked about GPS, but I feel like we've um, sort of covered that in terms of the lack of GPS and your approach. But they've also asked about programming plyos, strength and power in a preseason period. And I know we could literally probably do another hour or so on that. But um, how would you give like a, an all-round answer for that to keep it as brief as possible? Um, who wants to take that one? No yeah, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll jump <laughs> in, yeah. Um, so I, I usually block it. So I start with, if you go for strength, I start with, typically hypertrophy for probably, if you're doing six-week periodization, probably two weeks hypertrophy, then you're working into probably strength. Uh, again, it's individualized based on your testing for preseason um, but and their, their training history, but probably hypertrophy, then into strength, and then into maybe some kind of undulating periodization, probably in, as you get towards the competitive prep. You're dictated by games because the games are going to take over and you're going to have to work around games. So as you get in towards 90 minutes, you're not going to want the players to be sore. Um, so you might do like a, a microdose or like a more of like a isometric approach. That's what I typically do towards the start of the season. Um, players typically do, will do start with foundation based ones. So jump and hold. If they, I, I normally do that for probably the first week or so to get the the landing mechanics and then work into extensive, so like your your repeated jump, ankling that sort of thing, and then go on to intensive. So like your, I think it like the I can I can never say the word, but the intensive jumps to so like your shock shock method uh, towards the end of the season. But again, based on your testing, typically I'd have like three groups, and some players won't even go into that if they're not if they're. RSI or their their um, reactive strength is, is too low. They won't do, they won't go into that. They'll just stay on on the the extensive base stuff. Um, and then power, yeah, player power, pro- probably similar. Really, I probably group the the power based stuff in terms of like the your speed strength strength speed stuff into your your strength based program. Probably wouldn't do too much of that until week week three four. Um, and then yeah, your players just just follow on from there, and then. The last block probably undulating. That's probably in a, in a nutshell. That's probably how I do it. Obviously, individuals you'll change, and you, I just try and bucket and group best I can. Brilliant. Sorry, Connor. Do you want to add to that? Oh, can, can I or not? Yeah, can go I, for it. Go for it. No, I just say um, similar to Rob. I would probably say incorporate it all, but you should have different different like phases in each. So for your strength, like Rob says, first week isometric that will tie in quite nicely with like your extensive plyos. Um, so start very easy with that. And don't forget, plyometric-wise, I would recommend very low volumes because on the pitch, they're getting a lot of plyometric actions from their changes of direction, their deceleration. Um, I would say, yeah, strength strength is the key focus because that's they're typically the sessions with a lot of eccentric loading. They're going to cause a lot of DOMs. 
but in pre-season, that's not as bad. That's not such a bad thing. Um, so main focus would be yeah, strength. Um, don't worry too much about plyometrics and power because they'll get a lot of stimulus in the early. So if they've not been doing much change direction, much sprint work in the off season, they'll they'll get it all through there. Like don't forget, sprinting is probably the best plyometric activity you can do. Yeah, focus on strength. We haven't um, just finally. This this isn't really a question. They've just more sent like just topics, I suppose. Um, and one thing we haven't spoke about too much is the screening or testing in the preseason period. Um, and I know again we could probably base all podcast off it, but the, um, someone else has asked. They've just put test application of test results in the practice. So does anyone just want to touch on that just to wrap us up? Which do you want to take that one? ecfc.co.uk yeah that'll be the button. perfect yeah to answer any questions what about yourself Rob uh, first I want to apologise for my rambling because I probably went off at a tangent on loads of points um, I've got loads of stuff written down from your questions you sent over and I've, I've, I've not ticked off any of it to be honest so. <laughs> apologies for for uh, littering people's ears but um, yeah pro- I'm not great on social media I just retweet things that I sort of uh, on, on Twitter that I sort of uh, come back to look at, but my uh, Twitter handle is at Robbo, R-O-B-B-O underscore Leo, L-E-O. I, to be honest, I don't know why it's that. It's probably because Rob Lee was taken. It's quite a common name. Uh, so that's probably why. I don't even think I follow that, Rob. I don't even think I follow you on Twitter. Yeah, you probably didn't know our Twitter, mate, to be oh, honest. No. Um, I, I searched Rob Lee and I followed every other Rob Lee, I think. I mean, that's probably why, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I, that, that's the only social media I've got. Nothing else. So, um, and then yeah, email. So my email is rob.lee at clubduncaster.co.uk. Probably the two best places to get hold of me. Perfect. The enemy though, I, I I'm going to struggle to get back to you because I've only just worked out how to get onto it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Which one about yourself? Yeah, yeah, sim- similar. So yeah, so. Uh, Twitter maybe or LinkedIn or email itself. Um, I'll, I think my, just trying to look now, um, Andy Witt 24 is my, is my Twitter. Perfect. Uh, Twitter name and obviously um, maybe just message me on there if, if you need to get an email off me or find me on LinkedIn is, is sort of the best place really. Awesome. Well, yeah, well, lads, we'll put the um, your Twitter handles and stuff in, in the show notes anyway so people have got them. But I just want to say thanks again for coming on. I appreciate um, you coming on and chatting to me in, in your evening when you could be doing a million other things. So I, I really appreciate it. And I hope people have taken plenty from it because I think there's loads of great information um, in that one around pre-season. And um, good luck with the season ahead as well. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Ben. Appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate having us. Thanks, lads. Cheers, lads. See you later. Big, big thank you to the lads for doing the podcast. I really appreciate their time. I'll keep this um, this quite short on the end of the podcast because I do uh, realise that it's quite a long episode. But what I would say is um, in terms of takeaways for me, some that jump out for me are the the fact that you need to be very adaptable in a pre-season period. Obviously, the lads spoke about COVID. They spoke about different managers. Um we talk about planning in pencil, right? and I think there's no more time that that is relevant than the preseason period. So it's great to have a plan, but it needs to be adaptable. 
Um, and then the other thing, I, I think it might have been Connor that said about backing yourself. So having a plan and having your principles and backing yourself on those principles. So being adaptable, but also um, having your principles and sticking by those and um, yeah, backing yourself as well. Um, there was loads of other takeaways, but I didn't want to make it too long on the end of this one. I just wanted to say I really enjoyed the chat and I thought there was loads um, to take away on pre-season. Go and give the lads a follow at Andy Witt, W-H-I-T, and then the number 24 um, for Andrews, at Connor uh, Derbidge on the end, um, sorry, that's his Twitter even for Connor, um, and at Robbo underscore Leo, that's for Rob Lee. So go and give him a follow and feedback to them as well. If you've got any questions, any feedback, any areas of discussions, reach out, reach out to us as well. And please, as always, Give the podcast a share. I really appreciate it. It gets in front of more coaches and the the audience is growing all the time. Um, And I really look forward to bringing you some top, top guests over the next few weeks. So it's really exciting time for the Football Fitness Federation podcast. But as always, thank you for your support. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 144.